Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Eric, like I said earlier, and I want to welcome you to our Sunday gathering. Uh, I forgot to mention earlier that you may have noticed that Tom is not here. Tom and Ebony are not here. I'm on eldership with Tom, and they are down in San Diego today at one of our sister churches restored uptown. Tom is preaching this morning over there. Uh, their lead pastor, Andy, who was the lead pastor of the first restored church down in, in uptown San Diego. was actually on sabbatical this summer after I don't know how many years of being in ministry without a, without a real break. So really excited to partner with them in that and support them in that. And so Tom is down there. This morning he'll also be uh, actually doing some training with uptown this evening as well. So, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and preach this morning. And this morning we're going to continue in our series that we've been in for quite a while. It seems that way. It's called, the priest, it's called Priesthood. And basically what we've been doing is we've been seeking to recover this priestly identity or, or be restored in our priestly identity. And what is a priest? You may have heard this before. Uh, maybe you grew up Catholic. There's priests that, that do the mass. Priest is a very a big term in the Bible. You see it in the Old Testament. You see it in the New Testament. And a priest is essentially someone who ministers to God, someone who reorients their life around blessing God. And so we've been seeking to recover. What does that mean? Uh, one of the ways that I thought about it is that I think, and this isn't a bad thing by any means, I think sometimes it's more natural for us to come to God like this with open hands when we are in need, which is a good thing. The scriptures encourage us and instruct us to do that. God, I, I need you. Uh, but what's harder is sometimes knowing what it looks like to live life like this, like praising and blessing God, ministering to him through our words, through our, wor- through our ways, through our actions, through our entire life that's offered up to him. So we've been seeking to recover that part, not to lose the first part, but simply to recover the, the second part of offering up our lives to him as living sacrifices, as priests, praises, thanksgiving. So we've been in that series for a while, but we've been sort of like in a, almost like a little mini series within the bigger series, a part of the priesthood. And if you've been with us for any amount of time, you'll have heard this many times, but we've been looking at this idea of beholding, that what we, be, we become like what we behold. So what we look at, that we become more and more transformed into its image. And so that's Paul's discipleship strategy, is he wants people everywhere no matter what their age, stage of life, ethnicity, it doesn't matter. He went everywhere around the ancient world telling people, look at him, look at him, look at him, and him being Jesus. And so we've been, we've been thinking about that, chewing on that. We've actually been over the last two or three weeks in a little poem in Colossians. And so we're going to continue that. We're going to kind of finish the poem this morning, look at the last two verses of this beautiful poem that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And so what we're going to do this morning, I'm going to read the text, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to take a look at a few things from the text this morning that I feel like has been highlighted to me personally as I've prepped. I want to invite you and encourage you to pray during this time, uh, not just for you, but for me. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I feel like a little sleepy this morning. I think part of it was just because the lights were, these lights weren't on, and now that they're there, I'm like more awake. But either way, if you'll just pray for me, I really think God has something for us this morning and something for each, for you and for me this morning. So Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity to open up your word. Thank you for this opportunity to proclaim Jesus. And not just proclaim him, but really like perceive him, to see him as he really is, so that we can behold him and become like him, and we can step into this week, into our households, into our workplaces, into our friendships, uh, into our neighborhoods, to bless 
all that we encounter. Would we experience Jesus in such a way today that it impacts the way we live our tomorrow and the next day and the next day? Father, we love you. We're grateful to you. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, please turn over to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. If you don't, don't sweat it. It should be up on the screen here behind me on my left. So Colossians chapter 1. Verses 15 to 20, this is a beautiful poem that's inserted into this letter to the Colossians, which I'll unpack more. I'll go ahead and read it first. It says this, verse 15. He, being Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Okay, so if you want to know what God is like, you look to Jesus. Okay, and I can't get into all this. This is dense. And Tom, Tom unpacked this. If you miss any of the messages in this little section, the last couple, about what firstborn means, go back and check them out. But basically, Jesus is preeminent. He's supreme over all creation. Verse 16, for everything was created by him in heaven and on earth. The visible, what we can see, and the invisible, the unseen realm, all of it was created by him, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. So it's all about Jesus. Verse 17, he is before all things, and by him all things hold together. And these are the verses we're going to focus in on today, 18, 19, and 20. He, Jesus, is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amazing. I've spent a good chunk of the last week just looking at these last two or three verses and there's so much to say, so much to unpack, which I can't hardly begin to scratch the surface on this week. With that said, um, there are some things that jumped out to me personally. So I want to do basically three things with you guys this morning. I want to first of all talk about the background of this letter to the Colossians because uh, we've only been in it in the last couple of weeks and there's a lot actually here that I learned this week that I want to share with you about this letter, why it was written and all that stuff, what Paul is addressing to help bring out some of the meaning. So first thing, we'll look at the background. Second thing, we'll talk about a big idea. And lastly, we're going to try to bring it home and make this land with some questions. So first thing, background. Why was this letter written? Uh, what is it addressing? All that stuff. As I chewed on it, and I did a bunch of reading this week, I think the simplest way that I can explain this is through Dr. Death. Who here has listened to the Dr. Death podcast or watched the show? Two ladies in the front, one in the back, a couple in the back. There you go. Dang. Okay, so I'm going to have to do more, more explaining. <clears throat> so Dr. Death is the story. It was actually, I think it was first a podcast, and then it was eventually turned into a TV show. Wildly popular, uh, bingeable podcasts, if you've never listened to them. Can't recommend them necessarily, but I do that. Yeah, whatever. It's the story of Christopher Dunch. He was a doctor. Again, I'm, I'm going to read a quick quote. This is from a Time article. He was a surgeon, okay, and he seemed intent on using his scalpel instead of to save lives to really destroy the lives of his patients. 
It's like a horror. It's like a medical horror show. And the medical system was content to let him skate by. So Dr. Death, basically what it did was it introduced listeners and viewers to Christopher Dunch. He's a guy who was a surgeon in Texas, based in Texas, and he was ultimately sentenced to life in prison after maiming and even killing almost all of his nearly 40 patients that he operated on between 2011 and 2013. So we're getting off to a grisly start here this morning. What's that? Whatever that was. Yes. So, uh, and it's, it's like, it's packed. The, the, the show itself is quite a thing to, to watch. Again, I'm not recommending it. But basically the story is that there's these two doctors who are trying to stop Dr. Death from doing more harm. Yeah, they're trying to stop him, but it takes a really long time because Dunch is moving between hospitals and continues to injure patients. Out of the 37 patients that he operated on in Dallas over about two years, 33 were hurt or harmed in the process. 33 out of 37. Pretty wild. Some people after their surgeries woke up paralyzed, others emerged from anesthesia to permanent pain from nerve damage. Two patients ended up dying, they lost their life. One patient was a childhood buddy of his and went in for a spinal operation with someone he trusted and he woke up quadriplegic after the doctor damaged his vertebral artery. These are all events that are classified as like never events by one surgeon, like this should never have happened. Okay, so what does this got to do with Colossians? A fair question you might be asking right now. So here's, here's, here's why I mentioned Dr. Death. In, in this, this podcast, this series, this story, it's a true story, what was happening is you had a doctor who was working on people and they wound up maimed. Okay? In some cases it was like there was like a severing from like one part of their body to the other. And so they were severed from the source. One guy who ended up you know, quadriplegic because of the surgery. And what the Apostle Paul, I think, is doing in the letter to the Colossians is he's saying, guys, there's a doctor death on the loose in your community. There's a doctor death on the loose. He wants to sever the limbs of the body from the head. Okay? The limbs, being the body of Christ, wants to sever the head, from the head, I should say. So what this guy, the, and we, here's the thing about, here's what's interesting about New Testament. Uh, when, you, when you start to study the New Testament and start to get into it, one of the things you'll, you'll realize pretty quickly is that we only have half of the conversation, right? I'm, I'm, I just read Paul's words to you uh, a minute ago, uh, but we don't have like the response. It's like hearing a phone call. I've heard it described this way. It's like hearing a phone call, but you're only hearing the person who's talking into one side of the phone, right? You're not hearing both sides. So there's a sense in which we have to be, and there's, a, there's like careful and thoughtful ways to do this, but we have to kind of reconstruct a problem without knowing every single detail of what was going on. But there's some really good research that's been done. This is the beauty of New Testament studies. Tons of research has been done on this stuff. And I want to, I want to read a quick quote to you that I think shed the most light on the background of this particular letter as I was preparing. If you guys could throw up quote number two. Quote number two on the screen here. So the best explanation for what happened is that there was this blending of Jewish beliefs and pagan beliefs. So cultural beliefs were kind of blending into 
biblical beliefs, okay? And there was this, this spiritual element to it, calling on angels for help and to protect you from evil spirits. That's what's happening in Colossae. And what likely happened is that a shaman-like figure within the church had attracted a following and was presenting himself as something of a Christian spiritual guide. This person probably claimed to have superior insight into the spiritual realm and was advising the Colossian Christians to practice certain rites, taboos, and rituals as a means of protection from evil spirits and for deliverance from affliction. When Paul hears of the spreading influence of this teaching that devalues Christ, and that's ultimately the big thing, if you're taking notes, write this down, devalues Christ. That's why we have this letter. That's why this is a thing. Because what this person or these people, these teachers were doing was devaluing Jesus and failing to appreciate the new identity of believers in Christ. So Paul writes this, war- this letter of warning and encouragement. In other words, there's a Dr. Death like influence that wants to sever you from the head, Jesus. The, 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 the verses that we read referred to Jesus as the head of the body. Did you guys catch that? Jesus is the head of the body. Quote number three from the, from the back, if you guys can throw it up. This is what that means. Last week we talked about how Jesus is supreme over all, okay? But that supremacy that Jesus has over all, it manifests itself most visibly in the church. Christ is the head of the body, the church. And those who lose connection from the head, again, severing, from the head, from the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. That's Paul in the next chapter. So if you lose the connection to the head, it will wither and die. One can cut off any extremity of the body except the head and still live. Did you catch that? You can cut off any extremity of the body except the head and still live. So again, there's a Dr. Jeff rolling around, floating around in this community, severing limbs from the head of the body. Which is another way of saying there's a spirituality that's being preached and proclaimed that's severed from the source of spirituality, which is Jesus. Now, this might be like, cool, why does this matter? That was 2,000 years ago and this is today. Can anybody think of spirituality that might be out there in the culture today that's severed from the source of spirituality, from Jesus? Yes. Yes. Anybody want to throw one out there? Anything that you've seen that you're like, oh, that, that has no Jesus in it? Anything you've heard or seen? Prosperity gospel is a great example. It's the kind of thing that actually, the kind of teaching that makes you think that it's all about you, God blessing you financially, prosperity in your finances or bodily health, and that's what God owes you if you do certain things. That's also called legalism. And when the Apostle Paul, and this is part of the challenge of these messages, is we could do a whole series on these, and I just don't have time, and I have one sermon and one Sunday to do this. But one of the things that was happening in Colossae was there was all these different things that were out there. There was legalism that was actually being put in front of people as a legitimate way to connect with God. So if you go over to Colossians, Colossians verse chapter two, pull it up here. Colossians chapter two, 
verses 16 to, I believe, 23. Is that right, guys? Chapter 2, verses 16 to 23. This is what Paul is writing to address. This is, these are the specific ways that the Colossian church was being, this, again, this is all background for what we're doing and reading today. These are the specific ways that the Colossian church was actually being tempted to lose their connection to Jesus. He said, don't let anybody judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Okay, what's Paul saying? There it is. These are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. So what was happening in Colossae was that there was legalism that was happening. There was judgment that was taking place because of what people were consuming with respect to food and drink or how they were celebrating certain feast days. And so part of what this false teaching was, was you need to do these things. You need to eat these things. You need to not eat these things. You need to celebrate this high holy day. You need to not celebrate this day in order to be spiritual, in order to be holy, in order to be righteous. And he's telling, he's telling the Colossians, like, don't let anybody judge you. He's saying, say no to legalism. Say no. And we're going to talk about why that is in a minute. And he keeps going, and he says, let no one condemn you, verse 18, by delighting in aesthetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Okay, so this would be mysticism. You've never heard that term before. Mysticism is actually very interesting. I think legalism we're probably more, like more familiar with. Mysticism is a kind of like a puffed up spirituality that sounds really good. It sounds very like religious. It sounds very practical. Actually, it's not practical. It's actually disconnected from day-to-day life, but it's about angels and the spiritual realm. And Paul's saying like, don't let anybody condemn you or try to get you to take your eyes off Jesus through spirituality. That's just about angels and the celestial realm. So ultimately what Paul is doing, I think, is he's saying, don't be severed from the head through legalism, through the worship of angels, don't be maimed, okay? So that's the background to this story. Uh, The second thing we're gonna talk about today is the big idea. It's like, okay, so that's the background. That's what's happening in Colossae. Let's look again at Colossians 1, 18 to 20. Let's look at the big idea. Colossians 2, sorry, Colossians 1, verses 18 to 20. Here's where we get the big idea. These are kind of the key verses for this morning. He, Jesus, is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So here's the big idea, I think, what Paul is saying. Jesus is the source and sustainer of life. He's the source and the sustainer of life. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, we went to the, uh, to the mountains, I guess it was last week, Mammoth Mountain, and we, we went into a lake, I believe it was called Convict Lake. I think so. And if I remember correctly, unless I'm mixing up the lakes, whatever, there was a lake that we went to, and there was snow melt that was actually running into the lake, right? Is this true? Convict Lake? Okay, great. <laughs> so there's this source, snow melt. 
that's actually feeding this lake, this body of water. And as I was thinking about uh, kind of Colossians this week and what might be happening here and why it might matter, I had this kind of vivid picture of what was at stake. So I just spent time telling you, like, I think Paul's worried that this Colossians are going to be essentially disconnected from the source of life. But as he's talking, as we read those verses, there's a few things that Paul is like continuously pointing the Colossians back to. Jesus is the source and the sustainer of the body. And so I got this picture that I want to share with you guys that I think hopefully will make, help this make sense. When we were, again, in the lake, snow melts, there's a source for every stream. Can we agree on that? For every stream, there's a source. And so Jesus is like the source, and imagine a stream, and imagine people like walking up to that stream. I want you to think about it from this perspective. The, the, I can't, man, there's so much more to say, but I'll just keep this very brief. The, the scriptures indicate that the biggest problem that we have isn't that our behavior is bad, but that our beliefs are actually broken. Our connection to God is actually broken. Okay, so I want you to think about, and I've used this before, can you imagine a garden, the Garden of Eden, if you will, God's original intent for creation was to live and dwell with us and to partner with us to see the whole world full of abundance, of blessing, of all the goodness of God that spreads everywhere. That was the original intention, but because of sin, that original intention has been, in a sense, lost, but not permanently. And what ended up happening is Adam and Eve, the first two people, were sent out of the garden, out of God's presence, and began to wander. So I want you to imagine, though, that Adam and Eve, it's not just about two people, it's it's a representation of humanity. All of humanity has become disconnected from the source of life. And so here's where we're at now. It's like all of humanity is like coming up to this stream. I want you to just think about people walking up to this stream. There's a source and there's a stream. And in order to return back to Eden, you have to get to the other side of that stream. I want you to imagine it's like a, it's a big kind of wide, maybe not Mississippi River wide where it's like a mile wide, but you have to, you can't just kind of wade through it. You have to go deep down into it. And so here's the requirements for going back into the presence of God. And all this is from the letter to the Colossians as I've been reflecting on it. There's really three things that need to take place. And if you're taking notes, you can write these down. These are all things to consume and chew on. The first thing that needs to take place is cleansing. Cleansing. The second thing is a change of clothes. And the third thing is community. Okay? Now, I want you to imagine that humanity, every single person has a little, I guess we could call it a report card, but think of a report card for your life. So, a lot on it. If you're anything like me, a lot of red on that report card. And so you kind of have to show up. And Jesus is there, the king, the king of, the, of creation. He's there, and here's the three things you need to do. You need cleansing, you need a change of clothes, and you need community. So the first thing that you need to do is to literally hand Jesus your report card. You know, imagine doing that. 
You hand him the report card. And what's on there is sin in a variety of forms. You can imagine that. So there's um, idolatry, which means like I've, I've worshipped something other than you, God, my entire life. And here's all the ways it's manifested. Anger, broken relationships, violence, and ultimately death. So that's the report card that you bring to Jesus, number one. And here's the crazy part. According to Colossians, according to Colossians, it actually says that he'll take your report card. He'll take it. If you're new, if you've never heard this before, I want to read these verses to you. They talk about when this happened. This is really important because sin is ultimately what keeps us from being in the presence of God. It's what sent us out of the garden, and now we need something to bring us back in. And so here's what it says. Here's what it says about Jesus. It says, you were dead. This is uh, chapter 2, verse 13. I'm not sure if you guys have this in the back, so don't worry about it if you don't. And when you were dead in your trespasses, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. But check this out. He erased the certificate of debt with all its obligations that was against us and opposed to us, and he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Okay, so what's, what's my point in saying that? Anytime that we bring our brokenness and our baggage to Jesus, he can take that because it was, on the, it was put on him on the cross. So as opposed to the legalism and the mysticism, all the stuff that was being put in front of people in Colossae that didn't have any power to save, Paul is saying, but Jesus took that on himself. He took the sin debt on himself so that you can be cleared of your debt. Have you ever been in debt? I think most of us probably have because of school debt, if nothing else. I think when we got married, I don't even want to know how much debt we had, school debt. Uh, we had a bachelor's, master's, a couple cars, and, and that's pretty normal for people as they're coming out of school, at least as what it was when we graduated. Now, I want you to imagine all of that debt as a picture of, of kind of sin debt. I remember we took on student loans for school because it was considered good debt. Anybody else heard that before? What does that mean? You still have to pay it. You guys you just feel good about it. If we, we didn't, it was terrible. So debt ultimately is something that sin accrues a debt. I'm trying to use this as a spiritual analogy. Every time that we sin, that we break God's commandments, it accrues a debt. It causes a stain. If you've ever been with someone who really struggles to trust or someone who really struggles to believe the best of others, maybe that's you, there's a reason for that. It's because trust has been broken over and over in this world, and that's as a result of sin. Sin leads to broken trust that leads to distance. The hard part is, and I don't know that I've done the best job of explaining this yet, but I want to make this as clear as I can, that doesn't just apply to people, that applies to our relationship with God. Trust has been broken. Every time we sin, we break trust with God. I don't know about you, but... I, we sin all the time. I sin all the time. I can't speak for anybody else. And so there is this distance that would otherwise be there. Again, it's symbolized by the distance that we've experienced from God. 
kind of live life in the dark. I don't know if you've ever felt that, that kind of feeling. I remember when I was in, when the most, the heaviest I've ever felt it was when I just got out of school. I graduated college, I was living in San Diego. I had my first job. And I remember riding on the trolley. There was a trolley that actually went into downtown from where I lived, I lived in Mission Valley. And there was a trolley that went into downtown. I remember getting on that trolley one night and just having this thought like, why am I here? What's the point of this? Like this feels so empty. It's just like rinse and repeat. I'm doing the same thing every day. It feels kind of pointless. It feels sort of like, what's happening? There was just this sense of like meaninglessness that took hold in my life. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. It's a hard thing to live through. I think all of us have. Why is that? Because we're disconnected from the source. That was my biggest problem. I just didn't even know it at that time. I was disconnected from the source of life. And ultimately, what ended up happening to me was there was people in my life that told me about Jesus. They told me about him. It started with some guys on my college floor. I've shared this with you guys a few times. But there were people who had enough love and enough courage to say, Jesus gives your life meaning and purpose if you'll let him. And at that time in my life, the answer to that was no. I do not want Jesus to define my life. I want to define life myself through my, the way I've set life up, my choices, my decisions, all that stuff. And what ended up happening was I said no, I walked away from Jesus, and I knew that I had walked away from the source of life. How did I know? Because there was decay in my life, in my relationships, and there was a profound sense of disorientation, confusion. So bringing it back to this picture of being at the source and a stream, a source of water and a stream, what changed my life and what's changed many lives in this room and what's changed many lives across human history is actually that Jesus stands ready to receive anyone who will come to him. Anybody. But the first thing that needs to happen is we have to give him the debt. We have to acknowledge there's a debt that I owe you, Jesus. And I need you to clear that debt away. I need you to cleanse me. Why do I mention this? I think it's actually fairly easy to go through life not realizing how bad we need cleansing and how bad we need to be, have our debts cleared away. Why do I say that? Because I think there's all kinds of distractions that, that we use to keep ourselves from seeing that. Let me give you some examples. Family, none of these are bad things, by the way. Family, marriage, work, uh, academics, athletics, romance. Any of these sound familiar to anybody? These are the sorts of things that can ultimately become a distraction. Not saying they're bad, can actually be amazing. But in and of themselves, they can become the thing that we live for. All the while, we remain unplugged and disconnected. We remain severed from the source of life. And that is a form of death. But when we arrive at that stream, again, using that metaphor, we hand Jesus our debt, and he says, take a dip in the stream. Baptism. Baptism. And baptism isn't just for the cleansing of the, out, the outside of the body. It's 
It's the, the appeal for a clean conscience through Jesus. So we can come to him, he says, cleanse, come and wash, and you can be clean. But it, doesn't admit, it does require admitting guilt. It does require admitting a debt. It, doesn't mean, it does require being like, I, I need cleansing. The next thing Jesus does is he offers you a change of clothes. Okay, so the debt that was nailed to the cross is cleared, but he offers you a change of clothes. And we see that really clearly in Colossians. Actually, I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you about it for the sake of time. The Apostle Paul talks about how we need to take off our old way of life and put on the new way of life. If you're anything like me, you've realized at some point or another that the old way doesn't work. Doing things my way, according to my ideas and schedule and plan and priorities, does not work. It doesn't bring about new life. So Jesus, what he does, he says, take off the old clothes and put on the new clothes. He offers you and me a change of clothes. So you come out of the waters, and now it's like, okay, take the prison garb off and put on your white robes. And then he says, come and join a community of people who have all been through the same thing. That is the sum and the substance of true spirituality that is connected to the source, to Jesus. It involves cleansing, a change of clothes, by that I mean a new way of life, and people that are doing the same thing, that can encourage you, that can actually walk with you through these things. Now, I'm running out of time. I do think that that little picture of the stream and the source, I, I, at least, I think it's at least for me and it might be for some of us today. Because ultimately what it shows you is that you can be looking at the stream, you can be looking at the source without actually jumping in. And that was, that's been such a part of my life. It's one thing to say like, yeah, cleansing is good. It's another thing to be like, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. Because there's so many different things that, I think ultimately what we do is we do what Adam and Eve did, which if you haven't read the story, after they were, after they sinned, they experienced what? Nakedness, shame. They were exposed, and all of a sudden, they, all of a sudden it's like I'm naked, I need a covering. So they put a covering on. But what does God do? Does anybody remember what God actually does to cover them? He sacrifices an animal and puts new clothes on them. And I think there's something to that. I think we not only need that, that cleansing and that clearing, but we need to say, I'm taking off the old ways of making myself right with you, God, and I'm putting on the way that you've provided, Christ. And community, it's a group of people where you can walk out this new way of life together. So I think there's an invitation for each of us this morning to grab hold of one, two, or all three of these things to whatever degree they're not present in your life today. Jesus offers you forgiveness for your sins, a change of clothes and community. And it doesn't come through what you do for him. Any more than the Colossians could approach God through their legalism or through their asceticism or their mysticism or any other isms, 
We can't do it today apart from coming to Jesus. So I'm gonna invite you to stand up. I'm gonna call the band up. Doing okay on time. what we're going to do. I want you to imagine for a moment what it would look like if every single person in this room embraced Jesus by the stream and took a dip in the water. It would mean that there's no need for hiding There's no need for pretending. There's no need for performing. Nobody can earn their way into the kingdom. It's a gift that has to be received. Love has to be received first before you can do anything for him. So we would all be a people who can own our stuff. We would all be a people who recognize I need cleansing. Therefore, I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to be anything other than ready to take a dip And we could be a people who recognize, I don't need to judge anybody else. We're a community of cleansed people who have been welcomed by Jesus through his love. I think that's what Paul was ultimately getting at with the letter to the Colossians. As we behold Jesus as he really is, the savior who took our debt upon himself so that he could give us his freedom and his love and his grace, we'll become a people who do that for one another. We'll become a people who are honest a people of confession. We'll become a people of commitment to God and each other. And we'll become a community of people who are the safest people on earth because none of us earned our place here. All of us are granted amnesty, effectively. I was was doing a little bit of reading on this, and at different points in American history, there's been moments, not just American history, but specifically American history, there's been moments where Presidents, people in power have had to grant amnesty to people. After the Civil War, after that terrible disruption and division that took place in our country's history, um, at different points, there's, there's been this offer of amnesty. Okay, come, you're guilty, but come and we're, we're gonna pardon you. We're gonna pardon you. And I think what Jesus is offering is amnesty to anyone who will come to him to experience pardon, cleansing, to get a fresh change of clothes, and to be part of a people who are committed to no longer holding their sins against each other, who are committed to forgiveness, who are committed to humility, and who are committed to being there for each other. That's what Jesus is offering us, I think, this morning. And he went first. He absorbed my sin, your sin, all the consequences in himself so that, he could, so that he could give us grace. That's what he did on the cross. So this morning, as we've been doing every week, by the way, that's a community I'd want to be a part of, right? And I think we're experiencing that. I think there's more for us to experience in that. So this morning, as we've been doing throughout this series, there's a couple different ways to respond. One is as a patient, and the other is as a priest. So first of all, the patient all of us have, have been patients in our lives at one point or another, yes? 
We've all been to the doctor, whether, you've, whether it's an outpatient thing or something, maybe you've been hospitalized or maybe you're just going in for a checkup, you've been a patient, medically speaking. And I think what the offer is this morning is for anybody who feels like a spiritual patient, anybody who feels like I'm trapped. This is one of the things I didn't get a chance to talk about. Again, this could be a series, but all of the huge problem with the spirituality in Colossae was that because it was disconnected from Jesus, it had no power to actually set someone free from sin. It couldn't forgive you. It couldn't set you free. So if you're in a spot this morning where you feel like you are experiencing patterns that you would like to break out of, you can respond as a patient and receive prayer this morning. Actually, I'll call up the prayer team. You guys can come and hang out here. Jesus not only took the debt on the cross, he broke sin's power so that you can experience freedom. So if you find yourself in patterns that you can't get out of, I want to invite you to come and get prayer. If you're in a spot where you just need forgiveness, maybe you've never asked God to forgive you. Have you ever asked God to forgive you? Maybe a better question is when was the last time you asked him to forgive you? Maybe this could be a morning to ask God to search your heart and to see where is there any way in me that is displeasing to you? Would you forgive me and transform that? So maybe you're stuck in patterns, or maybe you need forgiveness, or maybe you're just lonely and experiencing isolation and you need to experience God in community and you don't know how to start. I want to invite you to go get prayer to come up as a patient and receive prayer. And if there's anything else that I have not gotten to but God is stirring up in your heart, this is your time to receive. We're gonna end up having about 30 minutes to respond, so we'll have plenty of time. For everybody else, if you have handed Jesus the certificate of debt, if you have cleansed in the waters, if you are part of, of community, whether this one or a different one, and you are simply grateful because you realize, I didn't earn this, I don't deserve this, you can respond as a priest this morning. You can praise Jesus. You can make much of him. And you can thank him because none of this was earned. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But he's pleased to give himself to you. And you can give yourself away to him through praise right now. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and then I'm going to hand it over to the, to the band. Father, we bless you and we thank you. We're grateful to you for your son. We're grateful to you that Jesus is not a doctor death, dismembering people. He's, a, he's the great physician putting people back together. We thank you that there's no deceit no duplicity, no arrogance in Jesus. He is simply looking to take broken people and make them whole. To make us whole so that we can then be a part of his work to see wholeness. The blessing of his kingdom extend out to the entire world. Jesus, you're worthy. Receive our praises this morning and receive us as patience with whatever we have going on, wherever we need cleansing, maybe, or we just need freedom, or we're just feeling disconnected from you, or we're feeling stuck, or distracted. Jesus, would you be gracious and merciful and meet us as we cry out to you in our time of need. Thank you. 
In your name, amen.